0: Galatians chapter 4, and I want to read from verse 8 down to verse 14. How be it then, the apostle is speaking, writing to to his uh, brethren uh, amongst the Galatian churches, How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labour in vain. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Amen. May the Lord bless to us this reading from his word. Before the Gospel came to the Galatians, the Apostle tells us they knew not God. Now that might seem obvious to us, but it is worth noting what Paul is saying here. Without Christ, it is not possible to know God. Now, all men and women have an awareness and a knowledge of God's handiwork in the world and in nature. The Apostle teaches us that at the beginning of Romans. And yet, while the evidence of God's being and power in creation leaves us without grounds to deny his existence, it is not the same as knowing him personally in Christ Christ. Adam had fellowship with God, but communion was broken at the fall. Sin entered and separated between man and God, God and man, leaving us ignorant of God and unwilling and unable to rectify that situation. Indeed, the Bible is so emphatic that it calls it a state of death and we are dead towards God, such is the degree to which we cannot have any spiritual relationship with him. And since that time, since that time of the fall, men and women all the world over have substituted all manner of animate and inanimate representations of God to fill the place of the one true God. So that we find all over the world idolatry exists. They are ignorant of the true God, but they have gone to any length to replace him and substitute him with a God of their own making. And Paul describes this as serving idols or worshipping them which by nature are no gods. So there's always that service in man. There's always that allegiance to something. But it is not the true God. And it's a useful reminder to us all that an imagined God... A God of our own making, a God of our own imagination is no God at all. A God of our own construction, which is any God and any Christ except the God who is revealed in Scripture cannot save our soul or bring us into a knowledge of the true God. And yet for these Galatians a change had occurred. They had been converted by grace under the preaching of the apostle through the hearing of that true gospel. And Paul here in this verse by reminding them that they did not know God prior to hearing the gospel is making a contrast. Once these folks were strangers to God... And now they have been revealed as sons of God by promise. By an act of providence, God sent them a preacher in the person of Paul. And by an act of grace, God gave them faith to believe the message that they heard from Paul. They had been taught about Christ And believing the true gospel, they trusted in Christ for salvation. So that instead of being ignorant and separated and actively opposed to God by substituting any number of human constructions in his place, instead of being in their carnal nature, they had been adopted by God into a relationship of family. Chapter 3, verse 26, we read that they were the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. He had made them heirs of grace and glory by divine goodness. He had given them spiritual life and converted them to Jesus Christ. Now, the circumstances will be different for everyone. But this is the same process for all God's elect. The Lord sends a preacher, we hear the gospel and we believe in the true God, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this transformation was at God's initiative and instigation. We are what we are because God knows us. We know God, but it's because he knew us and this is the foreknowledge that Paul speaks about to the Romans in Romans chapter 8. Now, it is true that God knows all things because he is omniscient. He, he, he It's one of the attributes of God is that he is all-knowing. And God knows all things. He knows all people. But When we speak about foreknowledge and when we speak about this relationship knowledge, when we speak about the knowledge of God within the uh, experience of salvation and within the covenant promises, we are talking about a particular knowledge. He knows his elect particularly in love. He loves them. He has a chosen people that he knows distinctively by name, having distinguished them from others within the uh, uh, eternal covenant, set them apart securely in Christ and called them to himself in the gospel. So that God had all this in place. God knew his people and our knowledge of God in conversion in time because his is an eternal work outside of time, our knowledge of God in conversion, having heard the gospel, is our learning what God already knows, that we are his redeemed people, that we are his purchased possession. We love him because he first loved us, and we know him because he first knew us. Therefore, the apostle says to the Galatians, given this knowledge that you now have of God, given this new revelation, why would you go back to the weak and beggarly elements? Now, the weak and beggarly elements that he's speaking about are the rituals and the ceremonies and the legal practices that these Judaizers were trying to impose in the Galatians by teaching them that this was proper if they were going to worship God, even that it was required and the only way to properly worship God and to please him. And Paul's response is that this is merely trading one set of religious shackles for another. One set of religious rituals for another. They had worshipped their idolatrous gods in their darkened state? And what was the point of, now that they had light, going back to these weak and beggarly uh, um, uh, examples and, 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 and elements? So they, having given up their practices, were now being tempted back under equally empty traditions by these Jews, by these Judaizers. And these traditions bind. They're a form of bondage because they substitute outward physical rituals for inward spiritual experience. And I'm sure that we are all familiar with modern equivalents You don't have to be around religious people for very long before they're sharing their expectations about how you should be living and acting, how you should be dressing, how you should be speaking, how you should be going about your your daily life in front of the world, according to their understanding and their particular group practices. As far as the Judaizers was concerned, the Apostle Paul gives some examples he says, "Ye observe days and months and times and years," and these appear to be references to the Jews' meticulously held Sabbath days and all the things that they could do and not do in them, or the celebrations of months when trumpets were blown, uh, um, or, or the, the the times which are a reference to the three occasions. Each year when Jewish men went to Jerusalem to celebrate the principal feasts or perhaps the years when the land was allowed to rest fallow and then there was a 50-year jubilee celebrated when there was a restoration of property and liberty was made of captives. The point that Paul is making though is that all of these religious observances were not to be maintained continuously they had had their time they had had a purpose they were shadows and types given to the jews to point them to the messiah to point them to his work the work of redemption the the rest that we have from our own labors our own works in order to please god relying rather on the blood and righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ and the liberty that we have from the dominion of sin that Christ's salvation brings and that perpetuating the types detracted from, indeed denied the accomplishments of the one who fulfilled the promises and ended the need for the symbols. Now we should not read the Apostle Paul's, we should not read into the Apostle Paul's expression of fear here, that anything that he didn't intend, the the, the Apostle is not suggesting that the Galatians, having once been saved under his ministry, could now lose their salvation and be everlastingly lost. Paul knew better than that and he had more confidence in the preserving power of God's love and grace. However, neither should we minimise what he is saying. It is possible for men and women who have once heard and believed the gospel to lose sight of its simplicity and its power and its liberty by overlaying their worship with all manner of extraneous activities and requirements that merely serve to cloud the purity of the truth. And there's another danger here as well, because that sort of activity also supplies opportunity for observers who have never believed the gospel to imagine that they have a part in the inheritance of saints if they live the same way that these professors do. And if our life, our Christian life, becomes a catalogue of the things that we do and the things that we don't do, not only have we lost sight of the sufficiency of Christ, but we're deceiving others who copy our conduct and imagine that they have true Christianity when actually all they have is a form and a ritual and a system of moral conduct in place of spiritual life in Jesus Christ. And this is a very real issue in denominations and it's an issue in families of second generation believers because we train up our children to have a moral code and we hope that the Lord shows them that in addition to that moral code there is a need for true spiritual life and understanding as well. Paul's insertion of the word brethren here shows I think that he retains a good hope for the Galatians that they will be recovered from the foolishness um, of listening uh, and following these Judaizers these false teachers and in beseeching them Paul expresses a heart of earnest affection he's pleading basically with his friends that they might think better of their conduct And realise that Paul not only has their best spiritual interest in view, but he is endeavouring to continue to lead them in their gospel understanding. He's not ordering or commanding as an apostle who had authority might be tempted to do, but he's appealing to be heard and to have his warnings considered. He calls them to be as he is, that is, one who had turned away from the shadows of the Jewish faith into the light of Jesus Christ and who held fast to the liberty with which Christ had made him free. Having shaken off those bonds and the stranglehold of empty religion. And he tells them that he is just like them. He seeks for a deepening of their spiritual understanding. He seeks for the best for them as they seek for themselves. The reason why they were listening to these Judaizers is because they thought, they hoped there might be something else that the Lord required of them that these Judaizers had to give them. And Paul's saying, I want that for you. I want your spiritual growth, but this isn't it. He's not trying to deny them deeper truth or exclude them from a deeper or richer experience of grace. On the contrary, he's exposing the shallowness of the current path that they are on. And he wants the Galatians to know Christ as he knows Christ. And enjoy by faith the liberty and the blessings of God as full heirs of every divine blessing That they are entitled to in Christ. And the Apostle tells the Galatians that he hasn't been offended. He hasn't been injured by them. Or affronted or diminished in any way by them. He would not have them imagine that he was angry or upset or, or anything else. Rather than that he is simply continuing to work with them in confronting their enemies and the challenges and the temptations that all believers face. The risk that we might be taken up with earthly, fleshly attractions in place of a true living relationship with God by faith. And that is an enduring risk for all believers in this flesh. But as their friend, as their pastor, as their preacher, Paul is trying to nurture and guide them, not trying to drive them to do things that they were reluctant to do. And he reminds them that this has always been his approach to them in the previous times when he had visited them and how he had preached the gospel of grace to them in love. It was the gospel that he had preached and they had reciprocated the love that he showed with a loving and caring response of their own. It was the gospel and not the law or the wisdom and the philosophies um, of of, of men that the uh, uh, apostle uh, presented to them. The infirmity of the flesh or my temptation that he speaks about might be a particular ailment. Uh, of which the apostle sometimes speaks, some physical abnormality or deformity that he had, or else just the effects of the physical weakness and the arduous labours that he endured in travelling and facing all kinds of hurdles and opposition, especially from the Jews, but from other enemies of the truth as well, in order to bring the message of the gospel to sinners. The Galatians had not previously despised Paul under these trials, but had understood and respected his integrity and honesty and apostolic cause. And they accepted him as an angel or a minister of God, and they could not have treated him any better than if the Lord Jesus himself had come amongst them to preach. And by reminding them of this, he implies that nothing need hinder them now from maintaining this approach to him and following his direction as they'd done once before. In these verses, it's pleasing to see the earnestness of the apostle for the well being of the souls of the Galatians. He pleads his case as a friend and as a brother. And he does not impose his will by authority. He reminds his friends that the gospel is not found in outward patterns of obedience. But in inward experience of grace by faith. And in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the righteousness that he has won. Our privileges in Christ are received by grace and enjoyed by faith. Anything added to this merely detracts from it. No works of man can add anything to the accomplishments of Christ or enhance his finished work. Amen.